Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I uh, really appreciate being prayed for and um, just a, a little flyover. The last little season for Amanda and I, so 2018, um, both Amanda's parents in Melbourne got very ill and um, I saw her just really put aside her, her life and her ministry things that she was doing and really just focus in for a season on caring for her elderly parents, uh, Norm and Nancy, and she did that so beautifully. My mother and father-in-law who were dear people and um, they were moved into care and, and then in early 2019, her dad died and then later, just before Christmas in 2019, the same year, her mum died and it was a really uh, difficult couple of years and a really hard time, and um, we were pastoring a church community, and that was pretty full on, and uh, so hit 2020, and thought, okay, well, you know, here's a bit of a season of maybe recovering and restoration, and then this nasty little virus called COVID-19 decided to um, freak out the whole world, and shut Melbourne down for a year. We went through a really intense, dark kind of time in Melbourne over that, that period. I won't go into it. You've heard me mention it a couple of times, but it was just intense and horrible. But God was gracious and helped us as a church community where we were um, really leverage online and technology and, you know, have, have like 17 small groups running online, prayer groups every day. We just kept going as a church community, but it was a tense and stressful time, 2020. And during that time, we had a sense of maybe God calling us, you know, into a new season of, of ministry, a new season of of uh, beyond the church that we were serving, Q Baptist Church. And then that led over 2021 to be thinking and praying about coming back to Adelaide where I grew up. And um, when we started to talk about it late 2020 and, and we're praying about the possibility of coming back to Adelaide 2021, we both said kind of independently, but then together, if we go back, we'd love to live in the Adelaide Hills. Come on, the Adelaide Hills. It's you guys, it's us. And, um, and so... That was our kind of general prayer to God was the Adelaide Hills. And when I got in touch with the Baptist churches of SA here and said, hey, look, we're thinking, praying about coming over. If there's any churches that are looking for a pastor, um, you know, let's, uh, let's hook up, so to speak. So the first one that came, Andrew Turner from BCS at the time, said, look, there's quite a few churches looking for an experienced pastor. And that, that caught me off guard. I went, is that me? I thought, yeah, it must be. It's been a few years now. All right. Um, the grey hairs prove it. But he said, but there's one church I think you need to talk to. I think you need to have a chat with them first. And it's in the Adelaide Hills. And I went, all right, <laughs> that's okay. Let's have a chat with them. And that was Mount Barker Baptist Church. And then I was having lunch with a, a fellow minister a month or so later in Melbourne um, at a pastor's gathering. And we were just chatting. And he was from Adelaide, had pastored in Adelaide. Uh, and um, I said, oh, you know, we're thinking of praying about going back to Adelaide. And like that, across the table, he goes, I can see you and Amanda living in the Adelaide Hills. I went, ah, it's interesting you should say that. Um, and so here we are, and just driving here this morning, uh, just thanking God for being in the Adelaide Hills, being part of this church community, Mount Barker Baptist and Hills Baptist coming together. It's, uh, today was a, a year ago when we had a vote together. Each church had a church meeting and agreed that God was calling us together. 
Um, and, and that's something to be thankful for. And, and also, I, I just look at Amanda, I, I want to just put it out there and say, you know, she put her a lot of her art and stuff on hold those two or three years through that time and got to a point where you're thinking, you know, this is it, God, that, that part of my, my life, that season's over. And yet we've come here and God very quickly and amazingly just opened up this space in Handorf uh, for Amanda's art gallery and to uh, be a place of ministry and mission. And we had this dream like 25 or more years ago when I was starting out in ministry. We wanted to do something different. We kind of said, I don't want to be part of a normal church, you know, like traditional church. Um, God loves them, but someone else can look after them. We want to do something on the edge, something creative, something a bit edgy, you know, something like a cafe gallery, because I used to be a chef and where people could come and and engage and we could reach creative, artistic people um, who aren't always represented in church communities. And, And we had this kind of dream and this vision and pretty much we just got squeezed into the mold over the years of just normal, you know, church life, which is fine. But it's like God has opened this up, at least the, the gallery part of it. I'm not ready to do a cafe these days. That's that's long gone. But um, we we have a cafe kind of planned for our, our new building. That's going to be part of the facility, God willing, up on Bolland Road is a, a, a space of hospitality, a space of welcome and uh, uh, a cafe kind of area, so that could come at a, in another way. But Amanda, um, God has like restored that to you in a really beautiful way, and your ministry in that gallery. Um, Amanda talks to more people about Jesus than I do, each, and I'm a pastor, and so I'm really grateful for what God has done. And I want to encourage you in that, just in that little journey, that story that I've just shared, that sometimes life can feel disjointed or you don't know what God is doing, you don't know what he's up to, things don't seem to be working out, things seem to be a struggle or a trial and that might be you right now and you're wondering how it all comes together, how the pieces kind of fit. God is really good and often in hindsight we get to see it. At the time we don't perceive it or or know it. God is really good at working out millions and billions of priorities and lives and situations into his purposes, if you'll allow him, if you'll allow him room and space in your life, if you will say, Lord, not my will, but yours. He's able to bring about things that you've longed for or desired for years or things that you've hoped for or seen. Uh, He can bring it about by his power and his grace. Amen. Well, that's uh, just by way of introduction. Um, This morning, I want to speak a bit about hospitality and the church. And we've been in a series over the past several weeks, really starting from the anniversary Sunday about four weeks ago. Dave preached from the Great Commission, um, Matthew 28. And this kind of idea of four fields and and how the, the church, how God uses us and his people to bring the gospel to our neighbourhoods, our our families, our homes, our workplaces, to be uh, witnesses, uh, which is not a word we use a lot now unless there's been an accident, but to bear witness, to bear testimony to, to God, to Christ in our various fields. So we started with kind of this idea of an empty field, like God sends you, He sends me. We, we have a field, we have a sphere of influence, we have a the Greek word that is used, oikos, um, and it's like means house, but it means more than just like a physical house. It's like a, a household, uh, like a sphere of where you live and move and work. Um, and, and that's where God has placed us. Where you are now is your oikos, your field. You're, you're uniquely placed there. And into that 
field, God wants to use you as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Christ, to be, to be a planter of the gospel, to plant seeds uh, of gospel word and love and deed into that field, into that area. And, and that's his plan, is to use you and me. Um, and in that, we'll see, like the third field is the sprouting field, seeing growth actually happens, seeing people come to faith, seeing people come to know Jesus. And then the fourth field, if you like, is where we are this morning, the harvested field, when God gathers those seedlings and brings them into a community, a community of faith, the body of Christ, which is the church, and that's us here this morning. So what we want to focus on this morning is the church as a house of hospitality. The church is a house of hospitality. And I was at the Kairos um, graduation on Friday night, and I had to just stop myself from, from weeping through, through the whole time. It was just so powerful, so beautiful, to be in a prison and gathering and singing worship to God and seeing um, former, former Kairos members who'd graduated from the course sitting here to my left, seeing the, the new graduates over here on my right, seeing the Christian community coming from all over the place to gather together in that space and be the church in a jail. And as we were singing and worshipping one of the songs, you know, I'm a child of God. Um, that's, that's what I am. What is that? I'm a child of God. Yeah, that song anyway. I'm a child of God. Um, it's what I am. And seeing all these prisoners kind of lifting their hands, singing this song. And, and what hit me, what struck me really powerfully was that effectively the message of the gospel is that we're all in prison. Every one of us. Those guys were literally in prison. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know his love and his forgiveness, if you don't know him as King and Saviour and Lord of your life, you are effectively in prison and you are not free and you are bound. And only in him and only by him and through him does God unlock the key, the chains that bind us bind us in sin, in selfishness, in hopelessness, bind us in a life lacking meaning and purpose and hope. Um, only Jesus breaks those chains. And it was a literal parable of that in the prison. Actually, people who are literally bound and in prison, but finding freedom. And it was such an irony to sing to God, to King Jesus in a prison with people who were incarcerated in that prison, but now because of their faith in Jesus are free and are released. It was beautiful. And that sense of hospitality that was there of the wider Christian community come. And I just want to commend and thank all those people who are involved in that ministry and who've put, yeah, give them a hand, put so much time and effort into it. It was such a beautiful thing. So in Matthew, 16, Matthew 28, 16 to 20 or 18 to 20, I'm going to read. Um, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, notice the emphasis, to obey everything I have commanded you, 
and surely I am with you always. Now, the key thing there about the them, the them, the them, the you, and the you is it's plural. They're all plural. It's, it's plural. In, in our English, we kind of have, we can say you can be plural or it can be singular. Or if you're like, you know, maybe from the outback, you say use. <laughs> we have a plural version, but it's not grammatically endorsed, right? Um, so it's all plural. Jesus came to them. Jesus said, baptize them, teaching them as I have commanded use. <laughs> I am with use always. And this idea of community and the body of Christ embedded in the Great Commission. Now we are Westerners, which is fine, most of us. And that means we, we value individualism. We value the individual, and that's a good thing. But it's not necessarily the whole thing. We're also communal people, made for community. We're made to belong to a people. We're made for community by God, and we'll look at that in a moment, a little bit deeper. But you may not have heard of Tracy Crouch. If you have, that's fine. But in 2018, the British government appointed her the world's first minister for loneliness. A minister for loneliness. At the time of her appointment, the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, said, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. In reporting on the appointment in Time magazine, Tara John, a journalist, said that close to 10 million people in the UK, after being surveyed over a number of years, often or always feel lonely. The US general surgeon said that loneliness is a growing health epidemic and that social isolation, listen to this, can have a reduction in lifespan equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. In terms of health impact, social isolation and loneliness can have a very detrimental effect on a person's physical but also mental and emotional well-being. Now, it's not just the UK. There's been other nations have appointed ministers for loneliness. It's an epidemic in the Western world particularly, maybe connected to our individualism and our sense of autonomy that we have. Uh, in 2018, the Australian Psychological Society and Swinburne University released a report, the Australian Loneliness Report. It found more than one in four Australians were lonely. This was pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, and it's increased since then. The author of uh, writing about this, the journalist Charles Purcell, in 2021 says, that was then, pre-COVID, and he says, God only knows how lonely we all are now. The irony is that we crave community we crave belonging and to be with others. And yet, others are often the source of our pain <laughs> and our difficulties, right? It's, it's a tension that we have to bear. What the early Christians discovered um, from Jesus and lived out of his example was a beautiful gift, a beautiful um, blessing they called hospitality. 
Hospitality. Now, we kind of think of that, you know, I was a chef and you work in hospitality. It's not anything to do with that at all, though. There's a bit of a connection um, in some ways. But I promise to teach you one Greek word every time I preach. Part of that is when I was a young lad, half my family was Greek. The first Greek words I I learned were swear words from my cousins, from my naughty cousins. And I love how God has redeemed me and saved me. And now I'm teaching God's people Bible Greek words. So look at that. It's a parable there of God's grace. Um, The the word is, is philoxenia. Say philoxenia. It's a xenia. Philoxenia. And it's two Greek words, actually. Philos, which is the Greek word, one of the Greek words for love. This one means like friendship or brotherly, sisterly love. Like an affectionate love between a brother and sister or deep friends. And the other word is stranger. Where we get the word xenos or xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Stranger fear. Philoxenia. The early church used this word right through the New Testament is the love of strangers or the welcome of strangers. Now, strangers conjures up things for us. And of course, we need to be vigilant and careful and you don't just let anyone into your home or anyone into your family. But the early Christians were noted and marked for philoxenia, for loving and welcoming and strangers. Now, keep in mind, this was a very highly stratified society There were the elites. There was a general kind of middle class, maybe a small 20%. And there was a whole bunch of the poor, people on the edges, people in terms of their ethnicity or their social status or their financial status or their family status. It was a very stratified society and people were excluded. And hospitality in that culture in that time was between equals. So you checked how many... You know, followers someone had on Instagram, um, you know, before you'd invite them over for dinner. Did did they have enough? Were they part of, you know, your group, your elite group? And hospitality was top down, but never the other way. So you could invite lesser people or less status people for hospitality. But if you were a lower status, you couldn't invite someone of higher status into your home for hospitality. And even when you gathered for meals in the home, there was a degree of hierarchy in the meal. So if you're like a close friend, if, if Dave was my, my brother or my business mate or something, you know, he would get a really healthy portion um, when the meal was served because he was an equal. But if, you know, I invited Mark and Mark was doing some work on my big Roman villa, uh, you know, whatever it was, you know, he, he might get a different seat, a little bit of a lesser portion. So even when you gathered together, there was a hierarchy of, and you knew, you knew where you were sitting. You check out someone's meal, you're like, oh, they must be really close. <laughs> he got like the nice bit of the turkey. You know, I got the bum, you know, gosh. All right, <laughs> Christmas is coming up. Uh, I'll just sort of throw that in for you. And the early Christians, though, cut through that because they learned from Jesus. In Jesus, everyone is welcome. In and through Jesus, everyone's equal. Everyone's a sinner saved by grace. We are all undeserving sinners and God has showed us hospitality. We were strangers to God. We were strangers to him. We were separated and he welcomed us in Jesus. And the early Christians just flowed with this. 
and it just became part of their life together. They weren't perfect. You don't have to read the New Testament to know they were people. They had problems and troubles and issues, and that's okay. But they loved and knew how to welcome new people, strangers, outsiders, into the community of faith. Acts 2.42, Acts 2.44, that beautiful picture when Luke summarises the early church, he says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They even sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every, no one did that in that culture at that time. Charity, again, was, was limited. And this was a new radical way of being generous and loving. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So in public, like this, but listen, they also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God, enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is that fourth field, the church community. And in itself, being healthy, um, being in Christ becomes attractional and becomes something that draws others into because they're like, look at those people. Look at the way they share life. Look at the way they're honest with each other about their weaknesses open about their faults and their sins. Look at the way that they forgive each other. And this was noticed and notable in the culture. And it transformed that Roman culture over the next several centuries to where eventually Christianity became the religion of the empire. At one point they were throwing Christians to the lions, putting them to death for being Christians. A few hundred years later, they were saying, hey, Christians... We want you to lead our culture and our society because we think you've got something that we need. It was a big turnaround. Sounds like an exciting community to be part of. Um, spirit of welcome, deep fellowship, friendship. And those references to eating together and hospitality, they're not just you know Luke thinking, I need to fill out the book of Acts here. He's actually highlighting those things you know, because we need to hear them and know them. This this idea of sharing life, just not Sundays, but beyond that, opening up lives, taking some risks, opening up homes beyond Sundays. And I know many of you do that, and, and that is a big part of our church community as well. Now, regarding hospitality, let me give you a couple of verses, just if you're going, look, Nick, I need some more Bible on hospitality. I'm your guy. Let's go there. Romans 12, 13. Christians are exhorted to practice hospitality. That's all Christians. Practice philoxenia. Practice philoxenia. Practice welcoming people you don't know, welcoming people who may not be in your age group, your social group. They may not wear the same clothes as you, um, whatever it might be. They may go to a different school. They, they may have gone to a public school. Um, God forbid, you know. <laughs> Whatever it might, they might barrack for Port Adelaide. Whatever it is, like cross, yeah, let, let those barriers come down in Christ and let Jesus bond you together. So practice hospitality. Um, 1 Peter 4.9, this is a really key verse. Um, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. 
we'll just leave that there. <laughs> Hebrews 13.2, and Dave alluded to this. It's amazing. He alluded to this verse, well, not the verse, but Abraham and, and nearby the story that Dave told about Melchizedek. Abraham welcomes three strangers uh, to his tent to share a meal. And this verse kind of goes back to that. Abraham 13, uh, sorry, <laughs> Abraham 13. There's no book of Abraham. Um, Hebrews 13.2, um, we're encouraged to entertain strangers or to welcome strangers, Philoxenia. And it says, because by doing so, some have welcomed angels unaware. And that's what happened to Abraham. Those three strangers came. He welcomed them into his tent. They ate together. I'll talk on that in just a sec. All three of these exhortations, you can look them up later, all three of them are immediately preceded in the text by a command or encouragement to love one another. So if you go back up just a bit before show hospitality, offer hospitality, there's a commander and exhortation to love one another in the body of Christ. And so it's almost as though it's saying, love one another. Oh, do you know what love looks like? It looks like welcoming people to, in homes, meeting out, joining together in fellowship, in food, in faith. That's what it looks like. And leaders in the New Testament, and this is, this is on us as leaders, and elders and those in the church who are leading, leading life groups, whatever it might be, were to lead by example. And the role descriptions in the letters of 1 Timothy and Titus declare that one of the prerequisites, one of the um, um, aspects of character traits or practices you need to have as a leader in the church is that you must, an ability to be hospitable. 1 Timothy 3, 2, Titus 1, 8. And Gaius was such a leader in the early church in Romans 16, 23. And Paul commends Gaius for his excellent hospitality offered to the whole church. The idea being that he was quite a wealthy person who had a very large home and the whole church could meet and fit in his home and he threw the doors open and he welcomed the whole church into his home. And he's commended in the Bible for showing hospitality. And the early church didn't come up with this on their own. They got it from Jesus. And I want us to go to John 15, 9 to 12. And it doesn't technically say the word hospitality, but we get a picture biblically of where hospitality comes from. He says in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this, that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The key phrase I wanna bring out is, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How has the Father loved Jesus? Eternally. Eternally. And a little bit, Later in John, we see the teaching about the Holy Spirit and Jesus is giving his final teaching before he goes to the cross. And we get a picture of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you can't get your mind around the Godhead. If you could, they wouldn't be God or how it is that God can be one and yet three persons, but it's a central truth and revelation of the Bible of Christian teaching. But this is what it means in terms of hospitality. It means that God was, is, and always will be a divine community of love. God has existed in a divine community of love. And it's interesting 
that say in Islam where God is a unity and God is one, how is there love when there's only one? But in the Christian view and revelation of God, God is Father, Spirit and Son. God has dwelled in a community of love for eternity and now. God did not create us because he was lonely. He wasn't. He wanted to share the eternal love and community of the Trinity with us. We were made by a community of eternal love, divine love, and to share in that loving community. And obviously sin broke that. That's what the fall is. Sin broke that communion with God. Adam and Eve had perfect communion and community with God, part, part of that with the Godhead, part of that loving community. And when Jesus gives his life, when he goes to the cross, for the first time in all eternity, he experiences the cold, bitter wind of loneliness and isolation. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was cut off for a time so that we could be grafted in, so that we could come back. He was cut off so that we wouldn't have to be cut off, so that you wouldn't have to be cut off. He tastes this isolation, this loneliness from God his Father so that we don't have to. The tragedy of human loneliness is that we were not made to experience it. We weren't meant to experience loneliness like we weren't meant to experience death. And Jesus has come to reverse both. So imagine these early Christian communities where you could come if you're a slave, if you're a woman, if you're poor, if you're a Jew, if you're a Roman, you're a Greek, if you're old or sick or young and, or, or strong or old and weak or whatever it was, you could sit down together in Christ and share that unity and communion with God and with each other. Before the first Christians starting up, started opening up their homes and table to welcome all sorts of people, remember the meal was a, was a boundary marker, a place of exclusion. As I said before, only the powerful, the, the elite kind of had banquets with their equals and the, those on the edges, on the margins were not included. But Jesus changed all that, didn't he? That's why his enemies accused him of being a friend of sinners. He took it as a badge of honour. But they were scandalised that he ate with the wrong kind of people. He hung out with prisoners, so to speak, with those that we shouldn't get entangled with if we're good, upright, nice people. Jesus ate with anyone who welcomed him. And he was fun to be around, let's face it would have been quite unpredictable being at the table with Jesus. He was always coming up with something that was uh, amazing. So this is what God calls us as a church community to be, to be that uh, overflow of his community, his love that he's had in all eternity, Father, Son and Spirit, and to share that and embrace that and let that flow out of our lives together. And it's something we can't do on our own. We can't just... Um, you know, we have busy lives. We have, you know, if you're parenting and there's all sorts of challenges and all of that, but there's got to be ways and times that we can weave into the normal rhythm of our lives. Meeting, eating, greeting, 
getting together with people in the, in the faith community and also inviting people from outside of that into that space. And I was so grateful um, when I was searching and looking uh, for faith um, that Christians kind of invited me in, even though I didn't quite fit. Really, that's an understatement, actually. I didn't fit at all. Um, the culture and sort of vibe of that church community in any way, and I was quite different. And um, perhaps if they'd looked at me, some of them would have thought, that guy's far from God and he's a bit wild and he's a bit unpredictable. We don't know. But they invited me in and they welcomed me. And that love and that acceptance helped me find my way to Jesus. And that's one of our values, right? Belong. Belong. We want to invite people in. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to know everything about God. You don't have to understand everything about the Bible. Just come. Be part of a community of faith. Be part of a place with another group of sinners and broken people who together are searching uh, and finding Jesus each and every day. One last thing or a couple last things here. Uh, Ephesians 4. The New Testament is filled with like over 100 verses about one another. This is really important. You know, it's, we've got to reach people with the gospel. We've got to sow the gospel seed. We've got to see people become disciples of Jesus. But as we become followers of Christ, he forms us into a community, into a body. So Ephesians 4. I forget which verse it is, but so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and it grows and builds itself up in love. We've got the next one. Can you read that, that last line after the comma? It grows and builds itself up in love as... Each part does its work. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm pretty sure it's biblically based, um, but it's not literally in the Bible. But there's some things I think that God will not do in our lives apart from through community and through others. There are some things He won't do in our lives apart from doing it through other people in community, in the body of Christ. So Paul is saying the way God has chosen to form you, encourage you, build you up and support you in life and in your faith is through the body of Christ, through the church. There's some things, I'll say it again, there's some things in other people's lives that he will only accomplish through you and some things in your life he will only accomplish through other people. What was that saying? You complete me. <laughs> you complete me. It's one of those cheesy Hollywood movies, I think. But it's kind of true biblically. Like we are meant to be connected together in this body. When we gather together to worship, to hear God's Word taught, to pray and eat together, God is active in and through us to one another. I can't tell you how many times. I'm sure and I hope you've had this experience too. When you get together with other believers, you share life, meals, prayer, and, and God speaks to you through it in in amazing ways that they'll never know. Something they say, something they share, a way that they act and, and display their faith. And God encourages and, and builds me up. And this is the command that Jesus gave us in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. 
so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That's the evangelistic fruit of a loving Christian community, a welcoming, hospitable Christian community. The fruit is witness to the wider world of a kind of community and relationships that everyone's longing for and and desires in this world riven by loneliness, hostility. And that world desperately needs to see people living in a different way, a new community of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of challenging, encouraging one another, holding each other accountable. This is what Jesus has done. We need to look into each other's eyes. We need to take time to really listen to each other's story and experience. We need to respond to the real needs of others as best that we can And finally, we must see one another as equals, objects of God's love in the gospel and worthy of Christ dying for us. One writer said this, might be controversial, but I like it. Hospitality is the practice by which the church stands or falls. Hospitality is the practice by which the church stands or falls. Are we ready? Are we prepared to open our hearts, our homes? As Dave said earlier, to surrender our agendas, our time, everything, to offer it up to God to see his kingdom go forward. Now, I know that people say well many things like, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The only problem with that, with that is that everything that Jesus and the New Testament say contradicts that. You have to be part of a Christian community as a Christian What that looks like, the form or shape of that, we can talk about another time. But Ed Stetzer, a great writer, says, biblical discipleship is a community effort. It's a group sport. This understanding is as old as the Trinity. At the core, discipleship is about the family. And he uses the word oikos, about the household. The household of God gathering together to learn what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus and thereby learn what it means to reflect the glory of God in all spheres of life. Paul says to the Colossians, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. As you teach and admonish one another. This is the beauty of Christian ministry and calling is that every believer can minister to another, can encourage, can speak the word, can pray. The ministry has been democratised in Christ. Yes, we have leaders and the church needs leaders and we um, know in the Bible that God wants the church to be led and governed by elders. But the ministry belongs to us all. We need one another I need you and you need me. Just turn to someone and say, I need you and you need me. In Psalm 133, King David said it 3,000 years ago, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity, in unity with God, in unity with one another. For what happens? There the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. What is life evermore? Salvation. As we dwell together in unity, as we dwell together as God's people, people see, 
people hear, people catch it. So the Bible, I believe, teaches God has chosen to help us and bless us in and through community and through offering and practicing hospitality in the community of faith. In the gospel of God's grace, he brings us home, he strengthens us through his spirit, and he gives us companions for the journey. I love the word companion. It's not a Greek word, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Companion, it's Latin, and it means with bread. Pane is bread. To have a companion is to share bread with someone, to share life intimately, and he's called us to be companions. I want to invite the band to come up. I want to pray, and um, I want to do something a little bit out there, because why not? Just putting my keys there, and you'll see why in just a sec. But I want to say this um, as, as we do begin to come to a close. There's no loneliness, there's no isolation or exclusion in the kingdom of God. In and through Jesus, God welcomes you home. He helps us grow strong for the journey and He gives us friends and companions along the road. If you are lonely, if you're one of those statistics that I read earlier and you're feeling alone, and isolated, you're not, you're not. There's a God who loves you and who cares and who showed that love and care by becoming flesh and dwelling among us. By coming and living next door, He came into this earth. You don't have to be alone. One of the sad things is you can feel alone in a family. You can feel alone in a large room. You can feel alone in a workplace. You can be around people and still feel alone, like no one gets you, no one sees you, no one understands you, no one cares. But that's not true. Jesus gave His life to show how much He cares. You are not alone. Because of Jesus, you will never be left alone again. And as His followers, we receive the generous hospitality and welcome that Jesus shows to us. In Jesus, everyone, is invited to the party, including you. I want to ask you if if you want to do this. Um, I've got my keys, and that's my house key on there, one of them, or one one of the keys is my house key. Um, And if you want, I'm going to lead us in prayer. If you want to hold your your keys as as a way of saying to God, Lord, my home is your home. Use it in the way you want to use it. You gave it to me. You provided it for me. But I just want to dedicate it to you, Lord, as we head into 2024, as we need more homes to host life groups and huddles and all sorts of things. If that's something you want to do, no pressure. Um, I don't care if you're renting or whether you own or whether you have a mortgage doesn't matter. If you have a home place where you dwell and you have access to keys, if you want to just hold that before God as I lead us in prayer and say, Lord, I want to surrender my home for your kingdom purposes. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gospel. 
Thank you. The gospel means that Jesus left his home, his eternal home in heaven. Jesus left the eternal glory and love and grace and light and power and fellowship of heaven. He left his home and he came to this earth so that we could enter his home. He gave his body, he gave his blood, he gave his dying breath on the cross so that we would not be lonely, that we would not be lost, that we would have a home again with God. Lord Jesus, thank you for welcoming us, welcoming us into your eternal home. We believe in you. We thank you that you are the way, the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father, no one comes to the heavenly home, but through you, Jesus, you are the way, the truth and the life. Only through you and by you and in you is the home and the love and the community we are longing for. Lord Jesus, if anyone here today is needing to surrender their heart to you, to say, Jesus, come and make your home in my heart. Lord, fill my life. I believe in you, Jesus. Lord, let them come to you now in this moment. Lord, for all of us who love you and follow you and know you and who want to, we offer up to you, Lord, our homes. And we lift up these keys and we say, Lord, thank you for giving us a place to live. It's really a wonderful blessing. But Lord, we surrender and give you access to our home, Lord. Fill our homes, Lord, with laughter, with love, with tears, with joy, with the gospel. Fill our homes with community, with welcome, with hospitality, with grace, with friendship and fellowship. Lord, for those who are opening their homes now, for those who are using their homes for your purposes, Lord, encourage them, strengthen them and bless them to know this is what the church did for 300 years before we had buildings. And it thrived and it grew and it expanded and it multiplied as people opened their homes for the King of Kings to enter in. So Lord, we open our homes and as we sing, Lord, as we worship, we again open our hearts to you, God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.